Ronin. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Juice in the Morning. Uh, this is a uh, exciting episode. It's going to be a little bit different than what we've had the last couple weeks that are kind of just been go- going off the rails, getting into really crazy subjects such as ass eating and uh, all that <laughs> stuff. But to my left is uh, the co-host that I love to have on the podcast. Shane, how are you doing today, man? Pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Did a lot of uh, physical manual labor this weekend. Yeah, the, so. uh, the old deck looks good. Yeah. I, uh, as soon as they got here, I wanted to show them my deck. <laughs> it was a huge deck. Yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the nicer decks I've seen. <laughs> it's very glossy. <laughs> and uh, the the first thing that I wanted to uh, kind of throw out there, you may know our guest that's uh, joining us, obviously from being on the Juice in the Morning podcast before, but he's also from the Bob and Tom. He does the Nooner with Josh Arnold. We are Libertarians podcast and way too many other fucking things to the list. How are you doing today, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I mean, you're a busy man. So. I'm very busy. So I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come do the podcast. Absolutely. It's always fun when I come here. You have a very fun show <laughs> and a very nice deck. <laughs> I appreciate that. We'll take Thank it. You. We'll take it. Thank you very much. Uh, and then on the phone, actually, we have a man that has reignited my passion for history with the Monday American podcast. How are you doing today, Andrew? Uh, appreciate that. That's uh, it's too much of a compliment. I'm doing good. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I want to say about Andrew's podcast, The Monday American, um, if you are a fan of the uh, hardcore history with Dan Carlin, I would like to say that I feel like he does a very um, similar thing, but also I like the spin that he puts on it. Um, I think it comes from your your political stances, and that's really the whole point of this episode today was to uh, kind of get you on here with Chris and talk about the history of the Libertarian Party. I'll do the uh, the best I can to offer some some actual good good content for you. <laughs> yeah, and the, just the last thing about the Monday American, he's got multiple series revolving around the Civil War, American Revolution, nine eleven, and and just a bunch of other stuff as well. Vietnam War as well, I think. All things that are pretty exciting when it comes to history. I feel like. Yeah, and he puts a lot of effort and time into doing it. So I appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. And uh, that's I, I want to just uh, go on to the next thing, which is I want everybody to know that uh, the Mon- the Married with Children podcast had me on and sent me an awesome shirt Sweet. so the people on the live can see it. Um, they uh, are great uh, podcast based out of the Midwest, and they had a, um, a woman on there, Victoria Schremen, that uh, participates in the Highland Games. Ooh. How do you guys feel about the Highland Games? That's the, the log tossing. Oh, log and tossing. You're, oh, damn. you're wearing a kilt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, as someone that repeatedly gets mistaken for a lumberjack, <laughs> I uh, I'm all I'm all about it. You're yeah. more lumber sexual. Let's be yeah. honest. That's, I'm I'm good with that too. Anything with sexual in it and lumberjack, I'm I'm good. <laughs> and they're they're an awesome podcast based out of the Midwest. I just wanted to give them a shout out for having me on and um, just check them out if you guys get a chance. But uh, let's dive into the history of the Libertarian Party, or Libertarianism, I guess, is what I wanted to get into. And the first thing is, how do, how do, you, how do you think things got started, Chris? And then I want to kind of get your take as well, Andrew. Well, it's, okay. a, it, it's a long process, uh, and people often mistake mistakenly think that Libertarianism exists exclusively within the Libertarian Party, which it does not. There are even libertarian Democrats. There are socialist libertarians. Yeah. Uh, but the, the basis of libertarianism, let's define that word first and foremost. Uh, it is it, the, the foundation of it is called the non-aggression principle. And that is what our parents taught us. Don't hit people. Don't steal people's stuff. Don't lie. 
Uh, and if the government, by an ex- by extension, for instance, uh, it wouldn't be legal for me to come and steal your computer. Yeah. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be even morally right for the two of us, the majority, to agree that that computer is mine. It wouldn't be morally agreeable to say, "I get your computer, but I'll replace it with an etch a sketch." Mm. Uh, and that's often what the government does. It's a it's a collection of individuals, but because it has a majority, we've granted it this force, and the use of force by the government is something that libertarians disagree with. Right, uh, and. So we oppose the initiation of force to achieve social and political goals. Mm. Now, this is, I think, fundamentally human and exists within every individual. And it has not been a part of history for a very long time because the history of of government and humanity has been tribal initially. And then we moved into, you know, kingships and mm-hmm. and more of the the regal nature of of government especially in the west and then the city state and now we're still in the existence of the city state m- m- a little more global than just your your basic city state like the united states government and france and great britain and where i think we're headed is a more libertarian society as technology grows and affords us more ability mm-hmm. you will see more individuals taking back their personal power to make their decisions for themselves, especially as we realize government is too slow, too cumbersome, and too obtrusive to actually be something that works in a good way. Yeah. Now, the modern libertarian movement, it, it, you know, it starts around the time of the founders. Okay. Okay. The, the founding fathers were very libertarian. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am a constitutional Libertarian. Okay, yeah. I believe that the Constitution is, while it still exists to have some government force, it is very uh, liberal in terms of allowing people personal freedom, economic freedom, and uh, you know, it, they they were certainly, especially with slavery, not perfect in their execution at that time period. But obviously, we've moved so far towards personal freedom that it's time to give it a shot. Yeah. Okay, and then. <clears throat> The modern libertarian party starts in the uh, as an extension of the Barry Goldwater campaign in 1964, Mm -hmm. who ran against Lyndon Lyndon Johnson, and Barry Goldwater was very personally uh, he was fiscally conservative, socially liberal in a lot of ways, and very libertarian, and he lost, and that spawned. The creation of National Review, the Ronald Reagan Revolution, the Libertarian Movement. Mm -hmm. And when Nixon won in 72, he took us off of the gold standard. Yeah. And when he did that, a group of libertarians who are very steeped in the Austrian economic school of economics, uh, (laughs) they, uh, they were outraged by this. And so a man named David Nolan started the Libertarian Party in 1972. They held their first convention in 1974, uh, and uh, no, I think it started, yeah, it was 72, I believe, Uh, the first election, you may have to fact check me on this, but the first election was 76 with John Hospers and Tony Nathan. She's actually the first female Mm -hmm. to win an electoral college vote. Oh, wow. And John Hospers was openly gay, and he's the first gay man to win yeah. an uh, electoral vote. And from then on, it's it's been growing and 
I mean, by it's the fastest growing political party in in modern America. Right. And and Andrew, I w- I'd like to get your side of things because I feel like um, with your knowledge of history and everything, wouldn't libertarianism be something that's like you know been around for quite a bit of time? But is it just kind of becoming uh, coming to the forefront now? Um, yeah, I mean, I I I first of all, Chris, that was a phenomenal phenomenal historical. Uh, backdrop of libertarianism and i couldn't agree more that the founding fathers were essentially the first libertarians because um the way i see it libertarianism started when we were being encroached on by the british government uh repeatedly and it would uh increase in magnitude and strength each time and they basically you know they declared their independence from government in that way and they wrote this constitution that was supposed to protect your individual freedoms and liberties and that's how i see libertarianism getting its real start and and, um and the the question that i wanted to uh address both of you guys with and andrew feel free to answer first um what do you think that the uh the founding uh people would think of us today like with the i feel like the liberties that we give up um voluntarily like our privacy and issues like that how do you mm -hmm. feel about that I don't think they'd be happy. I think they'd be the most disappointed in uh, Congress and the the uh, increase of the executive branch of powers term to term. Yeah, how about you, Chris? What do you think? I think they'd be happy in some respects and greatly disappointed in others. I think in the personal freedom, you know, I, many of the founders were abolitionists. They just knew that in the signing of the Constitution to form the union to make this work, they were they had the three fifths compromise, which is obviously a, a moral failing. Uh, and and I think what is the three fifths? The three fifths compromise basically said that black people were three fifths of a person. Oh, so and, like they were getting like three fifths of a of a, vote? of a person in their count towards their statehood. Okay, That's in insane. terms of their population, <laughs> and it was it was a compromise for many different reasons. But it was uh, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been ratified had it not been in existence and. Because Southern plantation owners knew that if they made them a full, if they made slavery slaves a full person, then they would be overrun and overwhelmed. They'd have to have the right to vote. They'd be able to own weapons, and so it just wasn't going. It, obviously, when you have local tyrants like slaveholders, they don't want to uh, arm and empower their slaves. Right. Uh, so I think to have a black president elected in Barack Obama, I think many people like Benjamin Franklin, John Adams. Uh, I think probably Thomas Jefferson would have been greatly pleased with that development. The amount of personal freedom where people in America, we have a lot of personal freedom. We are sitting here on this podcast. I do two podcasts a week, constantly dinging the government for many different things. I'm in no fear of having my door kicked in or being poisoned with plutonium like I would be in Russia. Right. So we have a lot of those freedoms, but in terms of economic freedom, the deficit, uh, and especially our militarism, uh, the beginning of the Cold War and the beginning of the growth of the military state where we are intervening in other countries, I think that first and foremost would have been the most grievous thing to the Founding Fathers, Mm -hmm. which is ironic because Republicans are the most militaristic and hold on to the Founding Fathers the most. Uh, James Madison basically said that war is the beginning of the end. It's the growth of the state. It enables every bad aspect of the state to grow. So I think in terms of 
interventionism and economics, they would have been greatly disappointed. Shane, how do you how do you think you would uh, fare in a different country? Do you feel like you'd be able to get along pretty well? Like if you were if you had to be forced to live somewhere else? I don't think I would do too well. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm kind of a person that doesn't do well with any kind of um, I don't know what you want to call forced it. Forced yeah. action. And I was going to ask, so do you think um, our first um, like times of us really policing the world came about because of communism? Yeah, so the history, uh, there's a great documentary series by Oliver Stone on Netflix called The The Untold or The Secret History of the United States. And it really outlines this pretty well, as, as well as a writer named Chalmers Johnson in a book called The Sorrows of Empire, where we didn't want to go into World War One and World War Two. I mean, people mm-hmm. people like Charles Lindbergh were in jail for opposing World War Two, uh, but he had a very strong movement to not go into World War Two. And then Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower really pushed the theory of the domino theory, where yeah. you uh, once uh, once one country decides that they're communists, right. it's going to be a domino effect of all the countries kind of uh, throughout. <laughs> Asia. That just blew me away. I didn't know that you would know that because so, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in this in this time period, it was like a, a really popular with, with the fascism, and, yeah. and and basically the United States was scared that um, our biggest fear was that communism was going to spread throughout what is it, like Euro Asia. Well, here, here's why: uh, Indochina, Indochina. Indochina yeah. Yeah. You thanks, Andrew. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Americans had flirted with col- colonialism in Cuba, Puerto Rico. Uh, which still is suffering the effects after Maria, uh, b- despite being an American protector, Honolulu, Hawaii, Philippines, whatever. Uh, but it wasn't like the other states. So after World War II, when the empire, the Commonwealth of of uh, Britain, France, they just didn't have the ability to maintain all of their former territories because they had been completely wiped out. Uh, and they had taken all of the resources out of these countries and had basically robbed them of their wealth and enslaved these uh, countries, you had a massive uh, firestorm on your hands. And so when you have companies like the East India Tea Company coming in and robbing India of all of their wealth, the locals go, capitalism is bad. What's the alternative? It's communism. And so communism started to move into these other countries, and America said, well, we can't have the balance get thrown off so much in the world that all of the world is communist except for the West, so we need to balance this out, and that's when America stepped in to fill the the, void left by Britain and France. I I might be wrong on this, but like the Marshall Plan, wasn't that something that was along the lines of that? We It's kind of similar to what we did with Afghanistan. So after you go to a country and war happens and their their country is in like disarray or whatever we kind of give them some money to help them rebuild and and rebuild things yeah. and then um so that um like threats like isis don't come back in and take over that area kind of similar exactly. to maybe what's happening in syria, in syria. right now yeah, yeah. so well, hey, if, I could, hey, if i could interject really quickly i was just about that. to i was just about to ask you andrew i want to get your i want to get your thoughts on that as well as us uh what how you feel about us policing the other the other parts of the world so I don't disagree with anything Chris said. I tend to pull the America World Police back, the founding of that, back a little bit further, um, but more more so on the Bretton Woods Agreement. So after World War II, um, you know, Europe, Europe was destroyed, and there was no way to guarantee trade, the safety of trade routes um, in Europe because there was a lot of piratism. Uh, it, it was just a – the Bretton Woods Agreement essentially was all the nations coming together to say who's going to ensure that we can – 
keep like you know essentially a world police to keep things in order while we rebuild Europe. America stepped into that role to say we we're you know we're still together. Our we don't have a single bit of land damage over here in America. We can make sure that you know things are going the way they should until we get everything rebuilt. And we never really stepped out of that role. So that's that's really where I put the biggest part of it in. And of course, that did transition into the domino theory from there when communists came around in the Marshall Plan. That's a good addition there, Shane. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> I was also going to ask at what point do you think that, um, you know, we were we were scared of those kind of threats and stuff. So we did start uh, policing the world. What at one point do you think that we started um, policing the world for our own good as opposed to um, yeah where we overstepping our boundaries where we because I mean be. at some point people you know you hear people say we're only over there for oil and blah you know those kind of things and I just kind of where do you guys stand with that point of view uh, that's a difficult question to answer I guess I mean it, it in my eyes it, it gets stronger each time it doesn't start off just right away being there out of only selfish interest but the uh, Korean War, I guess, would be the first one where you can really point your finger at, like, we, we really had no business being there. Yeah, we had drawn the lines in Korea. Uh, I mean, Dean Rusk, who went on to be Secretary of State, was an Army staffer, and he drew a, it along the 38th parallel in mm-hmm. in what Russia and the United States and Britain were carving up. You know, sykes Picot in the Middle East, where we drew the lines of Israel and, and Syria and Lebanon. I mean, we drew uh, the West drew these countries in all of these different uh, in the world and it's it'd be like the three of us sitting down and going you know where, where a good border would be in korea having never been to korea <laughs> yeah. uh and yeah, exactly. so that is a great point of misery uh post-world war one post-world war two where the west basically determines for what they considered lesser cultures you know we were civilizing them so that imperialist mentality was a huge part of why these countries are still poor, why these countries are still abused. Um, I think where we really became unmoored, uh, I remember growing up in the 90s and following politics in Bosnia and the airstrikes against Al-Qaeda and these other countries, and there still was some uh, hand-wringing over intervening in other countries. It was Iraq and moving into Iraq, and then the you, we've basically passed these two laws called the Authorization of the Use of Military Force, where it gives a blank check to the president to conduct wars in other countries in 2001 and 2002. I would say that's probably the Rubicon, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is where we cross the line from trying to pretend that we had the world's interest at heart into yes, and they they basically gave us as americans they're telling us this is why we're doing it but but come to find out right there's probably an alternative um whatever you want to call it, it like. it's just it's a slippery slope it, it started a hundred years ago and then it ends up where man if we lead syria there's bad consequences and then everybody goes oh no bad consequences not bad consequences <laughs> but when you yeah. when you really listen to what the bad consequences are like in syria for instance if we leave syria it will leave a vacuum and it will be bad well we have 2000 troops there and their main job is basically setting up local governments somebody else can fulfill that role we're not going to create a vacuum if we leave we're barely engaged as it is we're not even at the peace talks do you, you think know, it would so. be important to like, or a good like uh, plan would just be to kind of go in there, help them out, set them up with like a good um, starting point, and then kind of just leave them be, as opposed to 
Yeah, I think to, to do things require maintenance. That's my question. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, it requires empowering local. Uh, it, it requires two things, in my opinion. It requires the stomach of the American people to understand that when we leave these countries after a hundred years of propping them up, there's going to be bad things that happen and countries that will take over that do not have our best interest at heart. Right. Hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, and there's that's already happening. I mean, Iran and Turkey and Saudi Arabia and and these little countries like Yemen and Syria already are taking over, uh, and that's the so it first has the public will has to be there. The public has to be educated. And the public has to give a shit first mm-hmm. and foremost, mm-hmm. uh, and secondly, we have to not re-engage when those things happen. And understand that, like I think China's model has been really good for China. What China does is it goes into Africa and Pakistan and Afghanistan, and it invests in local projects. It builds football stadiums. Mm-hmm. It builds all, and basically they're putting financial resources into making the lives of the community better, while putting businesses and and jobs in those in those places like Nigeria, where there's 250 million people. Instead of dropping bombs, but the yeah. American attitude, according to polling, is we care deeply about helping people in third world countries who are suffering, and the best way we can help them is by b- dropping bombs on them. Yeah. That is an actual piece of polling from Pew Research. So, so how do you, Andrew, feel like? Because the first thing I saw as soon as the um, whole Syria thing went down, the most recent Syria thing went down, was everybody flipping out that World War Three was going to start and that. You know, this means bad news for us and like people just getting completely terrified in that like group think mentality. How do you yeah. how do you feel about Facebook? And like, I guess the because we've talked with Chris on the podcast before about how the news like the news cycle kind of pushes an agenda and it freaks everybody out. Like because I even like I, I did my research and realized that it wasn't the end of the world as soon as that happened and just Russia being mad at us doesn't mean that we're going to all die tomorrow but it just, how, yeah. do you, how do you feel about the social media impact of those kind of news stories and things like that yeah I think it I think it highlights how lazy Americans have become with their news intake it's just they don't I mean you have the people will admit right away that they don't they don't read past the headline right. so you'll have inflammatory headlines that have nothing to do with the article that just kind of make you think it's saying one thing. I think that's what it is. It just highlights the apathy of Americans towards their news and their willing to their willingness to actually find the news, you know. Right. What would you and, get? And it, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> What would you guys say uh, to um, basically? So, like, I saw something on Facebook that kind of like intrigued some, you know, thought or whatever. It's just like, um, so I saw a tweet. And I'm not even sure who exactly posted it, but it said something along the lines of, "How would we feel as Americans if Syria and or Russia decided to bomb us over the the poisoning of kids in Flint, Michigan?" Oh, that's actually interesting. So I saw- Oh, sorry, I was just trying <laughs> yeah, to share, right. share the podcast you're and right. spread the wealth, and uh, I'm being unprofessional. <laughs> no, That's you're okay. fine. Um, I think it is uh, it, it is a funny idea, okay, uh-huh. uh, but there's intent behind 
one and and uh, incompetence behind the other. Right. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Assad wants to gas a hundred, gas a hundred and fifty thousand people, kills a hundred, and then a hundred and thirty thousand move out of that territory, and then he can claim I've captured this territory. Wow. In Flint, Michigan, and so much of the American government, it's so big, so unwieldy. The consequences of bad actors and bad incentives are aren't fulfilled. And so it just becomes an incompetent maze. And I think this goes back to the last point. Uh, you, as a voter, as a taxpayer, have to take responsibility for the action that is t- happening in your community. Uh, we have a series on our podcast called The Cost, mm-hmm. which is the human toll of government policy, where we basically tell you what happens when government policy is act- enacted. People get hurt. People get uh-huh. killed. Uh, one episode, episode 91 of We Are Libertarians, sing, this mother of two kids, she's 27 years old, her boyfriend is too stoned to sell some pills, so she makes the drop for him, she goes to jail for 16 years for selling two Oxycontins, Jesus. she has a rare blood disease, she dies in prison because we have given a contract to a company called Corizon to manage the health care, they're beholden to shareholders, so to maximize profit, they cut care, it kills this woman, and a hundred people in the prison system are, are are in a place where they could help her. They watch her die because they don't want to step out of the system. Jesus, you as a taxpayer in Indiana are morally complicit in that. Mm-hmm. You, who are an American taxpayer and voter, are morally complicit in the dropping of bombs in Syria when children are killed. Mm-hmm. We are funding rebels with weapons that cause the the more we in, intervene in Syria, the more children get gassed. Mm-hmm. And so it's not enough to go, this is too confusing. I don't understand. You have a duty to understand. Yes. And yeah. that's why you have a duty to listen to We Are Libertarians at wearelibertarians.com or the American <laughs> yeah. Morning Podcast because people like us will do the complicated 20 hours of research to give you the two-hour distillation of what's actually going on. That's a really that is the Monday American that, Podcast, just not to correct you. But. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> that's yeah. a good point. It's, it's funny, actually. A lot of people make that mistake. I, I never anticipated that. So <laughs> I, uh, my lack of branding knowledge, I guess. <laughs> That's a good point, though. I think it's easy for people that don't do their research and, and don't really care enough to, to like, really um, be pulled into just a phrase. Like, yeah. you know, I saw that phrase that I said floating around the Internet, and I really don't have, a you know, a stance on it because I don't exactly understand completely what's going on. But I think it's easy for people to just see that and then be like, that's what I agree with. Right. Mm-hmm. And then instead yeah, of doing yeah. any kind of research, they just uh, flock to a phrase or flock to the easiest thing it is for them to to compare something with or, mm-hmm. you know, to go with. And it just yeah. uh, that seems like it's easy. So I'll just go with that. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it's become to me. It's just like like Chris said, they did. They find it too confusing. They don't want to put the effort into it. They become apathetic or they just give up. And like you said, they find the phrase, and that's good enough for them. And that's what I, I feel like when I am, at least in my mind, I feel like when I get on there, I do my, I try to at least get to the middle. Like I'm, I'm not going to go to the extents that you guys go, and I. That's why I appreciate having you guys as friends and able to. I feel like listen to you and see what you guys put out there in the podcast world and on the internet because. If it wasn't for you guys, it would make my job a little bit harder. And I, like I said, I'm good at being like average on this kind of stuff. Right. And um, mm-hmm. I feel like I have a pretty good moral compass as well as Shane. Shane's very right or wrong. My problem is, is I see the both sides of a lot of things. So. I'm the same way, I think. I just like when I don't understand something, I just flock to facts. Yeah. 
So I, yeah. as soon as any, I don't understand, I just go to whatever I read and or like, so if I see something for like someone would see that and go, okay, that's what I believe now. Yeah. I would go and try to find something that either goes against with that phrase, you know, it. yeah, yeah. So, so I can get kind of both sides and see how I feel about the whole, the thing as a whole, as opposed to one side. Let, let me stop you guys there because you're using both sides. Yeah. And let me say that human interactions are very complex. Mm -hmm. If if Juice and I are mad at each other, there's two sides to that story, but there's many shades of complexity. Our personal histories with our mother, for instance, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, a lot of I may be acting out of self-interest or I may be acting in these different ways. And and governments are just a collection of human beings. And the news is a very complex thing. But people try to distill it down into left versus right. For a few reasons. Some people use it to manipulate. Mm -hmm. Some people want you to buy into a binary thinking uh, because it's easier to manipulate that that you that way. If somebody, and this is a, a good litmus test, if somebody is making an enemy out of someone, then they are manipulating you. Mm -hmm. If you are listening to a podcast and they are, you know, the left is wrong, the left is the enemy, or, you know, R Donald Trump is the enemy, they are they are manipulating you to join their team, their tribe. Right. And studies show that people will believe things that are untrue just to maintain status in a, in a social circle, in a tribe, because we are pack animals. And so... It goes back to our prehistoric brain. I would I would encourage your uh, your audience start with understanding psychology, your own personal thinking, uh, and the way that people communicate before you dive into politics. Because once you do that and you realize you can break down and pick apart what people are saying, then you go, okay, they're not telling the truth. They may not have all the facts. Maybe they're intentionally lying. Maybe they're ignorant. Who knows? But they're not right because it, it just becomes easier because. The world is a very complex place, and that is part of what intimidates us. Mm -hmm. We like order. We don't like chaos. Well, and so we, we buy into slogans because they're easier for our brain to understand yeah. because it's less calories to process it. I and, could almost compare that to like an everyday situation that someone might go through. And like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it would be easy for people to understand this if you say like, say you have a friend and that friend tells you that this guy that you've never met is not a good person. I don't like him for these reasons. And you go ahead and dislike that person as well, just because he said that he doesn't yeah. like them. So that and I think that's similar kind of to yeah. what you're saying and just in a different way to look at it. But yep. so it's, you're basically, you know, getting your information from that person instead of actually you meeting the person and going through situational yeah. stuff and, and, and getting your own idea of that person. Here's a great book to read. It's, it's about dating. And a lot of your listeners are probably single guys like mine. It's called, I don't know if it's called Mate or if it's called What Women Want Now, but it was by Tucker Max, mm -hmm. who wrote the I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell books. Yep, right and, that one. Uh, with Jeffrey Miller, with a G, who is an evolutionary psychologist. And they wrote a book about what women find attractive. How mm -hmm. can you make yourself attractive? It's not about negging and all this bull. <laughs> it's about being the best version of yourself. Right. And here's the aspects that go into being a successful person based on evolutionary psychology and i think that's a really good place to start in an easy short read to understand what people find attractive because the art of seduction the art of power all start with attraction right and so i think that's a really good place to start and and one thing that i wanted to bring up is a lot of the times i don't post anything that i think politically or um on an intelligent side of things because 
I'm terrified that I'm going to be completely wrong and people are going to call me on it and then I'm going to look it up later and find out, oh, yeah, I was completely wrong about that. So what? And um, the issue that I have, though, is I look at my Facebook memories and, like, show that what I was talking about 10 or six or eight years ago and I was like... I need to delete that off of there because that just makes me look like a complete moron that I thought this thing. It also this sh- thing. shows that you've come to realize that what you were saying then was not the smartest thing. And I mean, at least it, at least you can look at it that way. Like I've come this far since then. At least I'm, you're not still thinking that way and don't even, you know, ignorance yeah. is bliss type deal. Yeah, like everybody's yeah, I think, o- Go ahead. Sorry. I, I think it, one of the, one of the best character uh, strengths that anyone can have is the ability to, uh, first of all, know when to say and when not to say something, but also when to be able to admit, like, yeah, I was wrong, and I have uh, since been shown some facts or some ideas, whatever, had a conversation that says this or that, that has made me change my mind, and now I think this or that, and that you can kind of, you're you're willing to admit that you were wrong. I would uh, even I, agree that the majority of society doesn't have that, you know, instilled in them, that they're like, how many people do you know that just are never wrong? But yeah, yeah that, exactly. you're not born right. Like you, you, every piece of knowledge in your head comes from some social interaction. You talking to another person, or or listening to a podcast, or reading a book, and like that adds to your knowledge base. So mm-hmm. if you say something, even if you don't know if it's completely true, you you can say, "I'm questioning this. What do you guys think?" And then people will tell you, and right. then you can pick and choose from there. But don't be don't be afraid to speak out. Mm. Because you're going to be wrong. And then have that, like, be able to go back to the drawing board and think about what the information that was just given to you and, and then come back and have an, a different idea as opposed to just, no, that's not what I believe and I, I'm not going to agree with any of that. And this is how I was taught to think and this is how I'm going to think for the rest of my life. Yeah, and the flip side of that, what I, what I also want to build is stronger stances on things. So I do need to do my research. I need to you know, learn about how the, the current, you know, political thing, political, what is it? Wave is good. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, basically I just need to have a stronger stance because that would improve my, I feel like my podcast and improve my voice in social media, improve things. If I just would take a stronger stance, even if I am maybe wrong, I'm at least, I'm at least, uh, arguing my point, I guess right. is what I'm saying. And I, There's- and I feel like I go into things too often where I'm like, well, I see both sides of things. Well, so, there's definitely like, I can't, I can't really something to argue. be said about someone who is sure of what they're saying. And like, that's, I mean, that's very something I look for when I get my information is like when, when someone doesn't really seem sure about what they're saying and they're like, oh, and then they're kind of like contradicting themselves. And, right. and, you know, I think it's like, if I'm going to listen to anybody, it's going to be someone who can like, you can visually see and the way that they're talking, and I would say that about you, is that you're you're very, like, when you say something, you can tell you mean it. Mm-hmm. And your confidence. Like, the, the problem with that sometimes, though, is, is you'll run into people that are completely confident about something, and they'll be able to convince you, but then they're, they're just feeding you a bunch of bullshit. If I were Tommy Lauren, and I were that sure of <laughs> my nonsense, I would be so much richer than I already am. <laughs> and that's much, much more attractive as well. Yeah, yeah. My, never mind. Well, also, when you, when, you, when you see people that, like what you're talking about, when they're just not saying anything that has any kind of, like, you know. Like substance. Yeah, I mean, those are just people that are I, kind of like sociopaths. They just believe their own lies, you right. know what I mean? So, and well, I think I, I do that sometimes. I think people need to, <laughs> and uh, I'm 
totally spacing on your other guest. I'm sorry, dude. Uh, but I don't know about his reading diet, but here's what I'd say. Just start start easy. Mm-hmm. Just go read the New York Times website every day. Right. Go to reason.com. Go to the National Review website and go to Think Progress. Just start with those different views and maybe the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And you're going to five websites a day. You're getting the mainstream opinion of news. You're getting Reason, which is a libertarian alternative. You're getting National Review, which is a conservative site. Think Progress, which is a left site. And then the Atlantic, which is kind of another independent view. And like you just have to spend 10 minutes a day right. going to five websites, and they don't update that much stuff. It's not that hard. It's just people don't right. know where to begin, and you just got to start somewhere yeah, to go. And yeah, you got to cross-check your, your stories and kind of be able to read between the lines to figure out what's actually going on. Andrew, do you have anything that you follow that you would like to share as well to maybe add to that list? Um, I like to go to Reuters. I do like Reuters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, those ones pretty much hit it, though. I mean, it's just I try to get as much as many different views of the same stories I can, regardless of where it is. What's your guys' process? Because you guys talk about, I know that it's a very short amount of time, but when do you when do you look that stuff up? Is it free time? Or is it just like how do you how do you go about getting your information? Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, I guess when I hear about a story, that's when I just I just start uh, just going through different websites. Yeah, and digging into it. Yeah. Yeah, I start with the cultural conversation. What is everybody talking about? What's what are the headlines? And then I start there. And uh, so when I'm putting my show together, you know, last week we talked about Starbucks and Syria and, um, you know, we've, we, we talk about what everybody's talking about right. because I want to give people first and foremost the facts about what's actually happening. And so people can – we start with the facts. Here's what we know based on reporting from the New York Times, the Washington Post, the AP, Reuters. Uh, and then I go, okay, what are what are opinion makers saying about it? And then that's when I go to a variety of opinion sites, left, conservative. The Intercept is great. It's left-leaning but very independent. Reason, National Review, like I said, The Atlantic. Um, I will do a Google search based on that. I right. will – you know, if I'm thinking as I'm reading that and I'm going – why did this happen this way? I will write the question into Google, and then it will pop up a bunch of different stories that I can look at. Um, and then I uh, form my opinion based on all that different research. I, I mean, I probably spend 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night uh, just kind of just looking over stuff. Right. And uh, that, based on my years of kind of being involved in stuff, I, I have a base of knowledge. So it you know might take some people 15 minutes yeah. in the morning as you're you know on the checking your Facebook, Facebook your Twitter, whatever. your Instagram. <laughs> I also listen to a lot of news podcasts through the day. Right. Um, yeah. Go to the news section, and I get most of my information from podcasts. Yeah. I think Ben Shapiro on the right. Uh, the Pod Save America guys are democracy now on the left. Mm-hmm. Libertarian is we are libertarians. Yep. Um, and then some just some new stuff. Like uh, there's a website like Politico has great podcasts. Uh, the Hill, uh, Roll Call, like these kind of political sites give you a lot of good information too. Just kind of scroll through the top 100 and see what looks interesting in news and, news and politics. Do you guys ever find the thing that I got, I've gotten annoyed about <clears throat> recently is 
people wanting to get that story out there first. So then I'll hear it on a podcast or I'll like, I'll we'll even do something on our podcast about a story. And then I'll get annoyed because I'll like two or three days later, extra news or extra details will come out. And then it makes like the point of view that I was thinking about completely different. Right. And then I'm like, well, I wish I could do this podcast like every day so I could go back and be like, right. Hey, what I was saying yesterday, just forget that shit. Just don't, don't, maybe, don't listen to that. Maybe just the only thing that you could do is just, tell the importance of like telling the listeners that this news this is and when you're hearing right it is very new and yeah. we don't know all of the details, but um, I'm sure more will come out. I mean, typical like newscast you hear right. a newscaster say that all the time. They're always like, you know, we don't have all the specifics right now and I'm sure more <laughs> will come out later and blah, blah, blah. I think that's just important to kind of say those things. So when people do hear it, they're not thinking that you're, you know, saying not taking into consideration the new facts that have come out since. Yeah, people are very forgiving of that. Right. I mean, they, yeah. they understand. <clears throat> and so then this leads to another question that's off the list of notes. So I, I hope it's uh, I hope it's as interesting as I think it is. Um, so if you guys are listening to something, for example, Chris, you from the Libertarian Party, if somebody is either writing or recording something and you're listening to it, does it? skew your uh, view of the story at all because they're from this the side that you kind of agree with or is it and and how does that work for you no i i'd start with um i really don't listen to a lot of libertarian podcasts uh for that reason um i don't i don't i want to be different and i think i am uh because i don't want to be an echo chamber i think you to not become an echo chamber you have to decide i'm not going to just share what everybody else is sharing right. or have the same opinions. Um, Do you think you would become like, like um, biased a little bit if you continue just to listen to the same information from if you, if you did it that way, I'm I saying. think if you only listen to reasons podcast or Jason Stapleton or me, then I think maybe you'd become biased. I'm just so uh, strong headed and in, independent that, you know, like libertarians hate me more than conservatives and Democrats. <laughs> I've, noticed, you know? I've noticed that with yeah. your like tweets and your Facebook posts sometimes that yeah. like, you're calling them out because they're coming after you. Yeah. So I, I just am a very independent minded person and I've always been that way and I will always be that way. Uh, but I think if you just read like you start with the facts, mm -hmm. here's what this says and then give yourself some space to think about that. And then you judge what other people are saying. I, I just I think you have to realize we're pack creatures. What other people say does influence you. Uh, so you have to kind of watch out for that. And it's not important to be contrarian. Mm -hmm. It's important to be independent thinking. Yeah. So don't just yeah. say the opposite of what everybody's saying to be different. Because right. that's equally as stupid. And Andrew, I know that you've, um, in the middle of your podcast, have said, you know, hey, I might have a little bit of a bias towards this direction. Um <laughs> How, how do you feel when you're when you're doing your your shows and you're presenting the history? Do you feel like some of that bias leaks through? And obviously it does because you've, you've said it in your show that, hey, this is my personal opinion about it. Yeah, I mean, history is is inherently biased because it's someone is writing it. They have a bias and the best historians or the best recorders of history are able to put aside their own bias as much as possible in order to report on what is happening in front of them so that we can later look at you know a as much as we can get unbiased version of what happened um i think when i said uh my own biases uh i i'm pretty sure you're probably talking about my uh my feelings towards the french um, yes that's that was exactly <laughs> what you were talking about 
Yeah, uh, I am a World War II buff, and it's always interested me so much. And the way they handled themselves in both World War II and Vietnam um, has given me such a ill, such a bad taste in my mouth for their nation, historically speaking, that I'm way too hard on them, and I know <laughs> I shouldn't be. But I, I, I am willing to admit, like, hey, this is me being just kind of a, a douchebag to the French. So <laughs> based on their take per- it with a grain of based salt. on their performance, I feel like some people might not even know they were involved in those wars. <laughs> right. <laughs> that made me so happy to hear. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I have to pause for a second when I'm doing some, like on a unscripted rant in the middle of my episode and just like, so you know what I just said is probably pretty pretty harsh and unfair based on my own bias go do your own research i hope you agree with me you know was it okay you guys can tell me this was it korea or vietnam that they at one point were had a big influence and basically controlled it was vietnam yeah so it's hard for me to even think that they you know controlled someone at some point (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that's the thing they they really didn't because the vietnamese people and you can get this and i'm currently i've got two episodes out of the vietnam war i probably will have two more um working on the third one right now but the vietnamese people they they were fighting against some form of aggressor for thousands of years before the french got there and it was kind of instilled in their nature to be the aggressed people fighting for their independence and uh the french they they made all the worst mistakes they could make uh as far as trying to colonize them which then we we came in right after them and made the same the very same mistakes so and the same with hitler i feel like he completely kind of wiped them out and ended their say in the war with just like a flick of his wrist kind of thing <laughs> well he they, yeah. he, he they thought that there was this one part okay so ever in the Maginot line yeah the the Maginot line was built to protect france from germany after world war one uh and that extended from france all the way into belgium except for this one part of the ardennes forest where it's really like a lot of trees a very bolt. dense and they said, ah, there's no way that they will come through. There. And they came through there real quick. <laughs> and they got a big head start. And yeah. they were totally outmatched. And they folded, like, as soon as the war started. Yeah. I mean, really and they quickly. were supposed to last, like, five or six years. What pisses me off the most about that is, you're exactly right. They just basically said, ah, that's fine. They won't come through that way. That was exactly how they came through in World War One. Right. The very same way they said, "Now they won't come through that way." <laughs> so I was like, "You have got to be kidding me!" That's like the uh, the not learning from your mistakes guy. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the thing that I would also like to see or hear from you guys is, what do you think uh, is coming in the future? Um, do you think that it's even because people were talking about the Syria thing and Russia and things like that being like a Cold War? I don't even think it's possible for. I mean, a Cold War to happen with the way technology is now, is it? I mean, is it possible? I think it's more possible than not just because of the magnitude of the weapons we have. No one wants to really use them. Right. Uh, I I totally agree. I think we are in some ways safer than we've ever been, but also much more uh, in much more peril because we have weapons. You see what happened in uh, just go watch some documentaries on what the dropping of the bomb in World War Two on Nagasaki. And it's absolutely horrifying, and we have bombs that are, you know, order of magnitude much stronger. Isn't like, yeah, there's like exponentially stronger. Yeah, and we yeah. we have the ability to, 
uh, really wipe out the planet. We have a lot of challenges facing us in the future. You have you have the threat of nuclear war. You have uh, drug resistant bacteria. You have the uh-huh. def- deforestation of the Amazon and Indochina. You have uh, lack of water. You have, you know, they always used to talk about peak oil, but that seems to have disappeared. So <laughs> there's there's always a lot of threats, and there's always a lot of problems ahead. Global warming, obviously. I mean, you know, you look at um, uh, what's what's the Italian city with all the water canals? Venice. 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 That's right. You know, Venice is uh, 180 days out of the year uh, covered underwater in the parts that it's not supposed to be. I mean, right. so climate change is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, the, and the effect of earthquakes and stuff like that because of yeah, global warming. Because what happens is you have these big forest fires and the deforestation for palm oil, for instance, and all that soot rises, settles on the polar ice caps. It's black snow. It collects more heat. It drops more and more water and ice into from Greenland and, and the poles into the, the ocean. And so it's that's a huge problem. The humans are very scrappy, though. We yeah. are a very uh-huh. uh, scrappy, scrappy people. But I do compared to you know dinosaurs. And <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, so uh, I, I I think you have to be optimistic about the future because you know you watch Vice, you go, oh wow, there's a lot of problems, but there's also a lot of victories. So we do have a lot of problems facing us. I do think that technology. As long as we don't let AI go too far, right. because the Terminator is a real thing. I completely like, believe it's, that. it's a real thing. Uh, <laughs> the The problems with AI are not only include you know m- machines that have uh, thinking abilities, and then they might start thinking that we're the problem. Right. Uh, it's also unemployment. We could have fifty percent unemployment by twenty twenty five. Some people are estimating, and when you have half a population in the world not working because of technology that's a huge issue and and we haven't identified that as the real issue we blame immigration we blame nafta we blame the things that are not responsible for you know the the loss of our our you know uh industries it's almost like uh kind of crazy to think that i i go on monster.com or indeed or something like that and you see all these driver jobs cdl this and that you know how close we are to you know, computers and machines driving down the road with semis, being everything being trans- transferred from city to city through. Right. You know, and that's crazy to think all those jobs. I mean, think my dad's a driver. He <laughs> drives a roll off truck. And think about all these jobs that are going to be gone just from that one little you know yeah. drivers and just, it'll start it'll start short it'll start like oh the driver only needs to be in the vehicle it doesn't actually have to operate the vehicle and then they're like oh he only has to like be in there for part of the time have to, you, to make sure that what's things the don't go movie wrong. um with man um it's a space he goes in, he goes into space no 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 it's um but basically there's self-driving semis in the movie um it's i i think it's moon are you talking about logan yeah and then, yeah and they try to kill the farmers right um i think it was like the they um there's like a, a wreck or something and the horses got loose on the on the highway and they were trying to get the horses out of the way of the autonomous uh, semis. Yeah, and it, it was almost like so these people wouldn't give up their farmland in Logan, and and they were saying that the semis might be trying to like oh, okay, inadvertently okay. run them over or yeah. whatever. So I just thought it was kind of crazy to get a glimpse of what it might look like because it was, didn't have like a cab or anything. It was right. just like a a moving you know mm-hmm. bus looking yeah. type thing. The one thing that I would say about this is that people don't realize how fragile everything is and and how fragile human networks are. And that's why it's incredibly important for each and every one of us as individuals to understand that we do play a role 
in in all of this. Every thing that you say, everything that you tweet, everything that you talk about is an extension of your values and can have an impact on the world. And even if it's a collective, uh, Syria in 2013, we didn't go into Syria in 2013 or Libya because people tweeted at such a large amount at politicians that they didn't have, they realized the will wasn't there to go in. So we, we do have the ability to influence these larger networks in a positive or negative way. And so I think when people think that, oh, it's too big, the system's too big, we can't do it. Elizabeth Warren was a professor who wrote this thing that got put into the Dodd-Frank bill, mm-hmm. and then she became a senator, and now she's thinking about running for president. She was nobody 10 years ago. Right. You know, she, she uh, there are so many stories where you're a nobody and they just turn out, out to change the world. I think there are... Elon, we, Elon Musk? We have to take responsibility for our own behavior instead of blaming other people that's why we're all so uh, violent about identity politics right now it's because it's easier to blame other groups than to take responsibility for what you're not doing right so the things like the serious situation a hundred years ago they were saying nothing new will ever be invented we're the most technologically advanced society of all time there's no way that we could possibly have any more wars we've solved the problems of war and then all of a sudden we immediately slid into world war one because of entangling alliances like syria it don't be arrogant and take response take responsibility for yourself and also for your community and society at large and i think it is possible to have a good future but you the listener have to decide that you want that right yeah so the to back to the the nuclear war thing that you said is something that's a potential what kind of uh act or thing would happen that you think we'd actually that would actually be used because i mean we we've seen the gassing and like i mean we bombed them but we didn't drop a a, just i guess a reference drop a world ender on them a reference would be what what causes us to use them the last time and i mean what can we learn from that i guess is probably it's, it's not very easy to answer the question because it's, yeah it's, it's, i was just curious yeah. if there was. but just the kind of i mean the last time we used it we were looking at invading mainland japan we expected to have a million casualties on the landing of that battle we Jesus. were already <laughs> dropping bombs yeah i mean literally the the, the low-end projections were we will lose a million people uh within the first like uh week or so to secure the beachhead we were looking at a country that was preparing its entire civilian population as soldiers to fight against us. We were looking at, uh, yeah, we were we were already bombing them with incendiary bombs that were destroying their cities uh, in chunks overnight, anyways, and had higher casualty rates in a day or two than the bombs did um, instantly, and Wait, they would burn and kill them slowly. I mean, you yeah. to be able to use that as your reference, it's like. I mean, Jesus, what what would have to happen now? And would it be <laughs> would it be fair to say that the space race had a lot to do with the evolving of you know bombs that we had and whatnot? Because of once um, once uh, Soviet Union launched Sputnik, uh, put kind of put America in a frenzy a little bit. Well, that's the huge argument now that nobody talks yeah. about is everyone's trying to get supremacy from the air, but air meaning space, and so. Yeah the ability to launch missiles from space onto uh, onto mainland i think with the nuclear question there's two two examples here the first is north korea and you have entangling alliances there with japan south korea america and china they all have a vested interest in there not being nuclear war 
Uh, Kim Jong-un is smart enough to realize that to maintain his power, he needs nuclear weapons, but to use nuclear weapons would immediately end him and would bring about the death of millions, five to ten million people on a peninsula with, you know, 50 million people, I think it is. Uh, And so he's he's a rational actor. People think Kim Jong-un is nuts. He's not. He's a very smart individual. He was raised and taught in Switzerland. He's a very rational person who wants to maintain his power. And that's why you see the move towards peace from him. Uh, Then you look at Syria, where the use of chemical weapons. You had chemical weapons in the possession of Mubarak in Egypt and Gaddafi in Libya. They did not use them. Uh, Assad used them. Mm. Mubarak and Gaddafi are dead. Assad is alive and in power. And so it, it, it just goes down to how far is a person willing to go to maintain their own life and power? And I think in Un's case, he's smart enough to realize that there's some rumors that he wants to liberalize the country and move like China did from communism to a hybrid. Uh, And he wants to open up a little bit. And then there's Assad, who is just an animal. Like he is literally uh, a monster and is willing to destroy everything, his entire country, to make sure that he does not die. And so with the nuclear question, if Assad had nuclear weapons, he probably would have used them in some form or fashion. Already. Which would have prompted a response from Israel, Mm -hmm. certainly, and probably America, which would have prompted another response from uh, Russia, who has nuclear weapons. Iran is suspected to have some nuclear capabilities, uh, and Turkey's probably working on them too. Uh, So it's... It's how far does it spiral out of control, mm-hmm. and how far is willing someone to push that? Yeah, I also think yeah. it has to do a lot with motive. Like, it, like you know, Hitler had this whole, you know, I don't, I'm probably like cleansing the world type thing, and yeah. getting rid of, uh, you know, genocide and all this stuff. So I feel like not anybody really today, besides the guy that you had mentioned, has a motive like that and doesn't really have the the smarts and whatnot to like realize what you said. Uh, yeah. If they decide to use any of this stuff, that it's going to be a shit show, pretty yeah. much. So I mean, I, I don't know if Andrew agrees with my assessment, assessment, but historically, it's it's how far is one human willing to go to destroy another? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I mean, I don't disagree with that at all. I'm sorry. Do you guys? Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say there's a there's a a funny a funny theme that runs through history that is major actions and the way that they got started by one person small action. Oh wow. And that goes back to like that ties in with the uh the Twitter comment that you could make a huge difference in a larger network just by mm-hmm. going in one direction. Sirhan Sirhan <laughs> in World War 1 assassinates Archduke Ferdinand. It sets off something uh, exactly. The, the, Tunis- yeah. the Tunisian fruit vendor who set off the Arab Spring, who was tired of being harassed by the local police, lit himself on fire, Mm -hmm. and it set off the Arab Spring that, you know, nearly eight years later we're still seeing the fallouts. I mean, the history has a funny way of taking very small people and turning them into very big actors. And and my imagination runs wild, guys, so if this is completely stupid, let me know. But is it possible to think that there might be somebody that, takes on a because uh, with with your background in history Andrew and Chris I know that you're you're first in history as well there was in in our history of the world there's always been people trying to take over as much as they can is that possible now like with is there gonna is it possible that there might be somebody that's like hey I want to I want to run the world and I want to take over everything Andrew maybe not in the since we've seen it before 
Yeah. Because you're not gonna, you're not going to have a Napoleon or That's a James Khan, yeah. Alexander the Great, but you could have someone who takes over the EU and yeah. centralizes his power with that, and then they kind of absorb more nations into it. That's that's how I'd see it. But, yeah. Not, a, not the traditional land conquering that we've seen in the past. Right. Yeah, Putin is a great example, and Xi in China is a great example of this, but Putin is probably the more stark example of someone who consolidates power in their country, tries to move into Georgia, tries to move into the Ukraine, tries to yeah. you know, affiliate, but the wealth of the world, the power uh, militaristically of the world is so distributed now the Americans, as much as I am a non-interventionist, the you have to look back at the uh, 20th century and say there was a lot wrong with the CIA and a lot wrong with interventions, but the United States of America tried to distribute the wealth around the world and the military power to make sure that there wasn't – we maintained supremacy. There's right. no doubt that we have done things to maintain supremacy. But it, it, there is a capitalist spirit that says it is in the world's best interest for other people to be rich. Mm-hmm. That's what NAFTA is about. Yeah, That's I, what TPP is about. I, Go ahead. I had uh, I had Justin on my podcast a, a while ago, but I think it was there that I mentioned. You know, we're the first we're the first nation in the history of humanity that has not taken the power that we have relatively and used it to conquer as much as we can. Yeah. When when we really could have done that. I mean, fairly easily at some points. Yeah. yeah, now we wouldn't have been we wouldn't be able to do that. But at some point, like you just said, we we would have definitely had the you know the upper hand in in doing so. We toppled mm-hmm. Saddam twice in a month, uh, in one month. <laughs> yeah. We toppled yeah. the Taliban in a month. We toppled uh, we we toppled we could topple Assad in a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have uh, we have uh, we sometimes in Obama I think was largely responsible for this. Uh, and you can think it's good or bad, but Obama really tried to bring a move away from American exceptionalism and move us to uh, moral equivalency. Mm-hmm. So there is a moral equivalency between Luxembourg and the United States and Estonia, and conservatives go, that's ridiculous. And, and it is true. Like in the gun debate, when you see all these uh, other developed nations don't do this, it's like, yeah, they have five million people. Right. Okay, <laughs> they're not the same. It's yeah. not the same numbers. The right. math isn't the same. Right. Uh, and yeah. so I think we've lost sight of how powerful the American – like uh, California is the eighth largest economy. Uh, Texas is like the twelfth largest economy in the world. Wow. And so we have massive amounts of economic and military power, but we have tried, I think, as a nation over the last 20 uh, – you know, the last century to distribute that. So there is that mutually assured destruction but I think there is, uh, you know, and that's what Trump is about. Hey, stop that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're losing too much money. We're losing too many opportunities. We're losing too many jobs. Um, but, it, it, and, it, and I get that impulse. Uh, and I, I would like to, I, I agree with it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see us become more nationalist mm-hmm. and stop trying to uh, control the world right. for our best interest. But. And and this is uh, like I said, I'm I'm a very uh, <clears throat> uneducated about the history and things like that. That's why I like having you guys on here. This is just another just silly question that popped in my head. If you were if if this was a video game or if this was like the the board game, um, what's that like? Uh, com- where you like try to conquer each other? Risk. Risk. If right. it was if it if this was risk or like a game, would America be the the first? team that you would try to pick or would would there be something else without a doubt oh, hell yeah yeah hell without yeah. a doubt i, I mean, like i like that answer it, it, it would be like starting uh in monopoly 
with uh, all of the blue built out <laughs> to the very top, all of the green built out to the very top. Yeah. I mean, you're starting with, with such a huge advantage. Right. Uh, and I think we're in real danger of losing that advantage. We're, we're looking at insolvency in, uh, in the 2030s because of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Uh-huh. And that threatens us in a big way. And I, I will say, if you go back and look at Osama bin Laden, uh, watch The Looming Tower on Hulu. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've read, I've read a lot on Osama bin Laden. And Osama bin Laden's goals to defeat America. He was angry about our military adventurism. And going into places like uh, Kuwait instead of letting Saudi Arabia and the Mujahideen handle it. And he declared war on us. His stated goal was draw the Americans into more military interventionism so they will continue to make more mistakes. They will bleed money. They will become, uh, there will become internal strife because of economics and just by virtue of the way that war works. And it will eventually collapse the government from the inside because of it. Right. And I think we're in great danger of letting Osama bin Laden win because we spend too much money, we invade too many countries, and we don't take uh, we don't take his warning seriously because he saw us over a period of the 20th century make these mistakes and said, "Okay, I figured it out. I know how to I know how to topple these guys," and we're well on our way. Uh, to letting Osama bin Laden win, if we don't get our monetary problems fixed, right? We will, we will yeah. be, we will be morally, uh, th- we will have the equivalency of other countries if we don't. All right, I feel like we we've kind of like exhausted a lot of subjects. Um, what I want to do before everybody kind of gets out of here and we get Andrew off the phone, um, Andrew, go ahead and uh, just tell all the listeners where to find you, what they can. Uh, <laughs> sorry, somebody's. Man, I need to get more professional with this. I apologize. Um, but uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can listen to your podcast. And also, just if you have anything else you want to plug, anything else, just let us know. Uh, the best place to go, I think, would be on um, my website. It's themondayamerican.com. You can listen to all the episodes there. Find all the links for all the podcasts and social media, Facebook, Twitter. But anywhere you listen to a podcast, you should be able to find the Monday American. And we, we, I thoroughly appreciate you coming on to do this show because, like I said, we have a lot of fun and like to make the uh, the dick and fart jokes as much as possible. But one of the <laughs> an, an episode like this, it's like it's an education for me, and it actually motivates me to like try to try to expand my horizons and learn a little bit more about the world and how it works. Hey, I do a lot of dick and fart jokes on my podcast too. So I mean, we do we do we do politics with dick and fart yes, jokes. So. Absolutely. <laughs> <clears throat> but thanks well, for I, I appreciate you letting me come on and, and have some um, some current relevancy rather right. than historical. <laughs> yeah, and and you're welcome to come on again um, as soon as possible. Just let me know, okay? I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Yeah. All right. Smart guy. Yeah, I, I love this podcast. Like I said, I can't give him enough credit that it's it's so I mean it's just well-produced like I don't know how to like even go about saying it because like I love Dan Carlin's hardcore history mm-hmm. like that's the it just like puts me into history the way I like it like it's a story it's and that's fun. what that's what he does I just got a kick out of talking about just the Cold War World War Two World War One that stuff's like really fun if you know just even a little bit about it it's fun to talk about it yeah there's another podcast called my history can beat up your politics you might check out because it's a lot like that too <laughs> like that's that awesome yeah you cannot talk about current events without really understanding the past and and it's it, you realize the long arc of history is just all these individual choices every person makes 
choices. Right. A lot of individual choices add up to big events, and you see that as you study history. And and once again, also, Chris, thank you for coming on doing the show. Sure. It's awesome having you on here. And just the same thing that I said to him, when I listen to your podcast, I get entertained and I learn something. And I, I feel like a lot of people like to listen to podcasts just for the, the strict uh, entertainment and the ridiculousness of the hosts, which I feel like is a good plus. But also when I learn something, I feel like that's awesome. And I can actually look it up and see what you guys are talking about. This is all very complex. People think it's complex. It is. I'm just trying to make it simple for people right and that's that's like the best way to go about news or any kind of like political stuff because like i said i am your average person like i'm the person that you know i look at something i have no idea really what's going on but i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best to try to figure it out and uh i just love having these kind of podcasts as well as the as well as the ones where we just go off the rails and talk about whatever because if you could tell from the questions i was asking those are just those pop in my head as i'm like as i'm talking i would say you two both exhibit something that you probably shouldn't do as much which is you don't give yourself the benefit of the doubt and you think you're you know less than you really do right uh and i think you you know it's it's like we we shouldn't be surprised that that he understands Mm. anything about history like i think there is uh, everybody is more informed than they realize they're just so disgusted with it that they don't engage with it right see i would just say with me that it's important that i i i need time in between sentences to Think about what I'm talking about. It's mm-hmm. not even. I'm not very good off the cusp, and to, I mean, maybe when it comes to dick and fart jokes, <laughs> but when it comes to actually talking about this stuff, um, I have to think about you know and, and go back through my mind and, and realize what I do know. Right. right. And I can't. Like I don't have any. Um, I don't desire to get in a conversation with someone about this stuff that knows a lot about it. I mean, obviously, this is a good platform because you're telling us as opposed to we're not having like a debate. And I would hate right. to get into like a, a debate with someone and 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 just throw out random you know facts that I know. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like I I know some things when no, it comes to I, like I said. I'm, the only reason I'm surprised is because of the podcast that we do is like a lot of the times we're not talking about any of this. So yeah. then when I hear you like give a you know very poignant uh, opinion, I'm just, I'm just like, into wow. The, I'm just into that stuff. And, and and when it comes to history, it's like he said, it's important that we remember what happened in history. And I I agree with that. And I think that. Um, it's cool to just go back and like, there's so many cool situations that happened in history that um, like nobody knows about, like, you know, the Manhattan project and just really cool. Anything like the invention of the hydrogen bomb, like Mm. things like that is just just crazy. So even if you're, even if you're not a reader or you don't like podcasts or you don't want to read the news, I mean, if you want to understand history, there's a lot of great series out there that do a lot of good education in a roundabout way. Like I saw Chappaquiddick yesterday. It's a very factual, uh, there's obviously some dramatic license, but you like I didn't understand what a complete scumbag Ted Kennedy was. I didn't know much about it until I saw it. I was like, holy cow. You know, uh, there's things like um, that's the one. Was that the one that the guy ran the car off the road? Yes. And Ted the Kennedy. woman died. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's things like The Wire on HBO. That is a documentary. Like, I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. Like, if you watch The Wire, you have a full understanding of the complete failure of bureaucracy in the government system. That's how our government works at every local level right uh and so if you if you make the effort to kind of watch some of this stuff i mean you do pick up a lot of cultural knowledge from watching historical based tv shows i definitely love myself a good documentary on any platform whether it be you know about i watched one the other day about lions Mm -hmm. it was just like you know what i mean and then all the way over to like political things or history um a good documentary is just one of my favorite things in the world i'd have to say yeah 
So what's the future for the We Are Libertarians? Uh, I mean, because you're just like a group. You're a conglomerate of stuff that you guys do. Oh, uh, we have uh, it's, it's eight podcasts right. at the moment. Uh, so it started out with just this one podcast in 2012, and I was working at the Libertarian Party, and it just continually evolves. And I am doing a lot of traveling for the first time, going to cover events, which is That's pretty awesome. cool. Uh, but I really feel like this is the best iteration of the show. There's been a bunch of different versions of we are libertarians it always has changed over the the nearly 300 episodes uh and right now we're just really focused on you know making you sound smart when you talk to your friends right you give me two hours you give me four hours a week and i will make you uh i will help you understand what's going on in the news and yes i am biased yes i do have an opinion but i do try to be fair and try and uh not just shove one thing down um, you know, we're, we're going to eventually get a studio and grow into like a daily show. That's um, yeah. That's what, like <clears throat> I was talking with a friend of mine, um, from the Smugcast BJ and mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're in that, we're in that mode where we're like, you know, this is a hobby. This is fun, but like we right. want to turn it into something that's more than just that. Yeah. There, there comes a point in podcasting where, and for me it was a hobby. And then somewhere along the line over the last three years, it was like, Oh, I could do this for a living, and I really have always wanted to. Right, uh, and then it becomes a job, and that's a very different switch for a podcaster to make because then it goes from being fun and you have no pressure to now there's a lot of pressure, and mm-hmm. I've got you know a hundred Patreon subscribers that I feel a duty to, seventy five hundred downloads an episode. I feel a duty to those people. Yeah. Uh, I just feel a lot of duty mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, uh, and, it, and it is different, but I it's, that. I loved it, I, yeah. but it's rewarding. And, uh, I just want to do more of that. And I think like focusing on the show and making that, that show better. The Chris Spangle show is another podcast that I do, mm-hmm. uh, where I do a, a lot of teaching people about podcasting or, stuff that doesn't quite fit with the we are libertarians format and yeah, so i heard ex- you did like a it's like a, ca- a class where uh-huh. you like you went in and taught some kids about that yep i i spoke about how i got into this mess and uh <laughs> you know i do so i'm trying some experimental stuff on that feed too that right. i think is going to be pretty fun that's awesome moving forward well i like i said i appreciate you coming in to do it um you know one of the things that i'm going to plug for us is uh, advertisecast.com so it's just like a, a website that people can go to and they can see what I put out there as what I think it costs to advertise on the show and then also it's got all of the contact information there that um, people can contact me per- personally and we can work out something different if you don't like any of the options on there we'll work something out obviously because because we want to do this as a job right it's advertisecast.com forward slash juice in the morning writing that down <laughs> <laughs> and um, but like I said it's and I, I've I've said it on my Facebook and Twitter pages the advertising is fairly cheap right now because I want you guys to take a chance with us with the website. You can also, I feel like see your return on investment because it um, forces the podcaster to fill out how many downloads the episode got that um, you advertised on. So you'll see how many people were touched by your advertisement. So, um, because right now this podcast has been kind of sporadic lately because, you know, some episodes will get like we had an episode get 1300 downloads in a week and it's still growing. It's getting even more now. But then, you know, we had one the other day that was like, you know, four or five hundred. So it's right. like, you know, and when I when I sent my um, stats to that advertised cast, it shows, you know, the weekly um, reach is five hundred, which is not accurate because it could be sixteen hundred. It could be. 
five yeah hundred. that that's I, that's why I do like a I, I rarely do advertising I really right. have focused on building a community and once you start to focus on building a community first yeah. and foremost you do your show for yourself yep and the people who are interested in what you're interested in will flock around you and then you network those people together usually with Facebook groups and build community and then you'll get to a point where people go how can I give you money or how can I help yeah and, yeah and it, and it was really like a surprising thing that happened in 2015 where people are like I want to give you money how do mm-hmm. I do that yeah I want to buy you equipment and you're like what yeah, <laughs> like exactly it, but it, it is a thing like if you're a listener to this podcast and you'd miss it if it went away then you have to financially support it because right. you guys are on a trajectory that I've been on where it gets to a certain point where it starts costing you $500 a month to do right. this exactly and you can't can't afford to do it by yourself anymore and you've got to say listen this is either going to stop or Mm -hmm. i need you to financially support us and uh, my audience has been more than generous and uh and absolutely amazing and the thing when you start taking patreon subscribers too is like they get more invested in it too right because you're creating individual content pretty much yeah yeah so i i think you should take a look at that too because i think your audience should support you mm-hmm. because you're you're they're getting this for free. Right. Somebody's paying for it, and if you enjoy it, then donate it. You know, like on a Patreon or whatever. Right. So exactly, and uh, like I said, you guys can find him anywhere that you listen to podcasts. The Chris Pangle Show. We are Libertarians. Um, what what song do we have to uh, end the uh, podcast um, with today? I was just gonna go with what we were gonna go with last week, but we did the yodel, the yodel kid. Nah. Uh, <laughs> Very so, <laughs> so we're gonna. I was gonna do the Beastie Boys this time. If you're okay oh yeah with yeah, that. yeah yeah, that's good. I like it. Okay, and then it's like um, this. The song is called slow, uh, slow and oh, sorry, slow and low. So slow and low. What, I guess what you could take from that is just take uh, take your information that you get from the you know for politics and that kind of slow. Just take right. it, you take know it and get, slow. Do your research. Yeah. And keep it on the low until you know what you're talking about exactly. and, then, and then tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And hopefully the juice is worth the squeeze. Boom. <laughs>